0: Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy.
1: Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to pick up in the book of 1 John, the book of 1 John. And this is uh, point number one. You'll find these scriptures listed on your worksheet Uh, Point number one in our current teaching series, the important prophecy terms that we are comparing and contrasting. There's seven sets of prophetic terms that we're uh, going to be looking into to get a deeper understanding of the difference between these terms, because it's fairly common for people to just read through their Bible and read things like the day of Christ and the day of the Lord, and they figure, well, Christ and Lord are the same thing. So that must, that's the same person, I should say. So it must be the same, have the same meaning. And they have quite different, quite different meanings. Uh, then you look at things like the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. I mean, I was just listening um, to a radio program here in the last week where a uh, very thoughtful theologian was talking about sharing the gospel in difficult times. And he said, you know, our job is to get the gospel out to the world, and then he went to the passage that said, here it says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world, and then the end will come. Well, he says, that's our that's our goal. Well, actually, the gospel of the kingdom is not being preached right now properly, uh, because Jesus is not here. Jesus came at his first coming preaching the gospel of the kingdom, because If you have a kingdom, you have to have a king, and Jesus was the promised, Old Testament promised king and Messiah that had come to Israel. And in the beginning of his ministry, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. I'm here, if you will just accept me. And then, of course, we find uh, later on that in his ministry, Jesus was um, denied as being the king and the Messiah that had been prophesied to Israel in the Old Testament. So there's a point in time, and we'll get into the details of that when we get to point number three, uh, which is the gospel of the kingdom in our worksheet, and we'll see where he transitions his, his ministry from preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which he was preaching to Israel, and then he switches over to the gospel of, the, uh, gospel of grace, or for another term you don't hear too often, but gospel of personal salvation. And that's what he started preaching for the church. So during the church age, which is what we're going to talk about in our Q&A today, the church age is basically from Acts chapter 2 until the rapture of the church. And then the church is not a, a entity, if you will, on the earth when God turns his attention back to Israel. And it's during the tribulation that he turns his attention back to Israel and again preaches the gospel of the kingdom. Because in order to have a kingdom, you have to have a king. And who's getting ready to come? Jesus is getting ready to come back the second time. And Israel has a uncanny habit of not getting it right the first time. They get it right the second time. It seems that's true over and over again with those people. They're God's people, but that's the way they uh, have acted in their self will. And they will see Jesus come back as the promised king, and he will set up his kingdom, his millennial kingdom. So, it, to use the term gospel of the kingdom, preaching the gospel of the kingdom today during the church age, is not biblically correct. Today, it's the gospel of grace, the gospel of personal salvation. So, It's just an example of what we can look forward to as we look at uh, what I believe is a very important need to understand the distinctions between uh, these seven sets of terms, and I'm sure there's others, and uh, if you can think of others that you think are important for us to know, you can um, send me an an email at steve at whcbradio.org, and I'd be glad to share it here on the program on the air. So let's get back to point number one. And as the uh, announcer has uh, pointed out, you can get this worksheet by going to the, uh, the radio station here, to their webpage, uh, whcbradio.org, and looking for Exploring Bible Prophecy. Look for that icon, the little miner with his pickaxe, as he's exploring Bible prophecy. And um, click on it. It'll take you to our um, specific page for Exploring Bible Prophecy, And there you can click on any particular week that you um, need to get the worksheet for and pull that up. And as we go through from week to week, uh, for instance, uh, week three will have weeks two and uh, one uh, cumulative. So the further you go along, the more you'll get all the scriptures. But whatever, however you wish to use it, I would highly recommend it because we've got a lot of scriptures. If you've been with us for a while, You know that if anything, we have a, well, there's no such thing as overloading Scripture, I don't think, because every Scripture is precious, because it's God-breathed. But we have a lot of Scriptures because I think it's important that we use the Bible to understand uh, any particular point and um, only turn to man's writings as a second or third option, uh, but certainly never the first option. So we are in First uh, John, and I wanted to. Um, we're gonna actually. I said we would get into Second um, John, uh, but I want to go back because in order to understand Second John, and what I want to point out there is, I have to show you a couple of verses that we've already read in First John. So if you would, in your Bibles, uh, start looking for First John, and that's towards the end of your Bible. If you get into the, the big book of Hebrews. Then you keep working to the right there, and you'll find um, James, and then you'll find First uh, and Second Peter, and when you get through First and Second Peter, the next book is going to be First John. We were in First John chapter three in our last couple of programs, and I wanted to point out a term that was used because it'll be it'll help us in understanding Second John, and in First John chapter three verse seven it says, "Little children." Make sure no one deceives you. And you see that a lot in the New Testament. Uh, well, the Old Testament is, as God was interacting with Israel as well. But certainly in the New Testament, we hear we read a lot about don't be deceived. And the reason that's done is because there's so much false information out there, false information that comes from apparently righteous people. In fact, he even makes the point here, doesn't he? In verse 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So he's saying that the righteousness of a person will come out, whereas somebody who is feigning or faking righteousness, their works, their, their fruit, if you will, their actions, their deeds, will actually, at some point in time, out them. But there are people, even people in our churches today, perhaps sitting next to you in the pew, that give the appearance of being a righteous person, but their lifestyle and so forth uh, does not match it. But they can tell you some very uh, convincing, quote-unquote, facts about the Bible, which are really not facts, but could be at best half-truths. And in order not to fall for that, not to be caught up in these um, ear-tickling phrases and terms and concepts that get you to move away from Christ, to move away from God, and actually ultimately get into the ways of darkness and of, of Satan, that can and does happen, unfortunately. So the admonition here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 is, don't be deceived. Make sure no one deceives you. So I want to get that term deceived out there because we're going to see that here in a few moments in 2 John. Then further on, I want to take you to um, 1 John chapter 5, and this is where we finished up last program in our Q&A. And in 1 John chapter 5, it says in verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come. And I want to emphasize that. We know that the Son of God has come. When did he come? He came 2,000 years ago. He came the first time to set up his kingdom, and Israel denied him. So he's gone back to heaven, and he will stay in heaven until Israel professes him uh, as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's Um, The admonition he gives Israel, and you can actually find that in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, and it's verse 39, and Jesus specifically says, you, Israel, will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what's it going to take for Israel to make that statement? The tribulation. They're going to have to be brought to their literal and figurative knees during that horrible time called the tribulation. And there's going to be a remnant of Israelites in the nation of Israel or around the world, actually, that will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says, I will come back. So he will not come back until that happens. But we know, because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we believe the death, burial, and resurrection – of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we can confidently agree with verse 20. It says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. So there's that deceit, Not uh, do not be deceived. Well, if we know Jesus, if we know him through the word, then there's a very good chance that we will not be deceived because we have the truth And the way people deceive you is because they assume you do not know the truth. You know, I've had um, my wife and I both at different times have answered the front door. And as you may have very well had the same experience, there are people there at the front door with big smiles on their face, and they want to talk to you about a false religion. And they assume that you do not know your Bible. And it's been our personal experience that when they come to the door, we recognize them right away for who they are. And we start sharing the good news with them from the Bible. And we've actually had them say, oh, you know your Bible. And they turn around and leave. Because Satan hates the truth. False religions hate the truth of the Bible. And they prey on people that they pray. They P-R-E-Y on people that they P-R-A-Y do not know the word so that they can deceive them. So do not be deceived. Because we, we are not deceived because we know that the Son of God has come. Now, as that is a backdrop, I now want us to turn the page in your Bible to the next book, which is Second John, Remember that John wrote John, first, second, third John and Revelation. So he was the second most prolific writer of the New Testament. And I want us to go to second John, which is just 13 short verses, kind of like a, a, a Jude. And I want us to go to verse seven. And if you look on your, your worksheets there, we're going to read verses seven through 11. Now pay attention here because I've, I'm guessing that a lot of you listening right now have had this experience. And I want you to see, because it might surprise you, uh, what God says versus what we do, because we want to share the good news with people. And God is saying, I want you to share the good news too, but I want you to know there's some restrictions. So let's look at Second uh, John and let's look at um, verse 7. For many, there it is, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. And of course, that's a lowercase a antichrist. Satan has antichrists available at any time. Because he is a created being, like you and I are. Satan is a created being. He does not have the omniscient power, the all-knowing power that God the Father has, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So he has to plan for whenever Jesus might be coming back. Because the last thing Satan wants is for Jesus to come back. Because we know from the scriptures that when Jesus comes back, Satan knows that the individual Jesus Christ the son of God is back on the earth and he will kill satan he will destroy satan satan doesn't want to be destroyed he wants to do everything he can from keeping jesus from coming back to the earth because this is satan's earth satan got it when adam and eve lost dominion of the earth in the garden with the fall so that's what's uh, that's what's happening here is There are deceivers out there that are trying to distort the truth, the the word of God, the truth of God. And it says that these are the people that deny that Jesus came in the flesh. And I bring that point up because I take you back to 1 John, where we said, we know that the Son of God came in the flesh. But these are people that are deceiving us, saying he didn't come in the flesh. So watch what it says here, verse 8. We're in 2 John And we're in verse 8 of the one chapter. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. So they're saying, persevere, persevere to the end that you might receive a full reward. When do you receive your rewards? You receive them as a believer at the Bema seat. You notice it doesn't say that you might be saved, you're already saved. You can't lose your salvation. What you have to look forward to are your rewards. So they're saying, watch yourself that you do not lose. In other words, don't stumble. Don't um, start uh, becoming lazy and moving away from God, moving away from God's word. But stay strong, stay perseverant. Look what verse 9 says. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, what is this teaching? That Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that it's the teachings of Christ that we should be focused on, and if you have the teachings of Christ, you have God. If you don't, then you don't have the Father or the Son. And if anybody comes to you and does not bring this teaching, look what it says, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. So do you, do you understand that? I, I preface this by talking about the experiences where My wife and I, either together or a lot of times individually, depending on the circumstances, have gone to the front door, and there are people there that are preaching that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. In other words, they do not recognize Jesus Christ as the son of the living God. In fact, I've actually had cute little girls, in this one particular case, just look me in the eye and say, yes, Jesus and Satan are brothers, These are people who do not bring the truth of God's word, and it says, do not receive them into your house. And there have been occasions, I've got to believe, with all of us, where we've thought, oh, here's an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Please come into my house, and let's sit down. Can I give you some coffee or tea or water and so forth, and let's talk. And of course, you find out that they are not interested in anything you have to say because they're so focused on their false gospel. Well, it says, don't do that because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as the head of the household, and surely if your family is as well, but if you are the head of the household, you have a spiritual protective umbrella over your house, over your family because of your faith. And I'm speaking to the head of the household If you bring these people in, it says you are participating in their evil deeds. Another way to look at it is what you allow, you teach. So we need to be very careful when we um, are confronted with the opportunity to talk with people who have these false religions. Do it on the front doorstep. Do not bring them into your house. Or if you do, you are participating in their evil deeds. Okay, we're going to continue on with our study. We're going to get into some real meaty passage here in Matthew chapter 16 in our next uh, teaching portion. But right now, we want to go to our Q and Q- Q- A portion, as we do with every program, and we want to continue on with a question that came from Rich, having to do with the Holy Spirit being removed from the earth during the tribulation, because when the earth is rapt, when the earth, when the church is raptured out. Right before the tribulation begins, the Holy Spirit indwells the church. So the inference is that there's no Holy Spirit on the earth. And if there's no Holy Spirit on the earth, how can the tribulation saints be saved? And he references specifically uh, Revelation 20, verse 4. And we've been going through um, looking at the triune Godhead. We looked at God the Father interacting with man. And of course, he only did that at the beginning of Genesis, and he'll do it again at the end of Revelation. The two times in the Bible when there was no sin in the world, because that's the only time God can interact directly with man himself, God himself with man, because man's in his fallen state. And man cannot be in the presence of God in his fallen state. God will not allow that. So God has interacted with man in a variety of ways. Uh, since the fall of man. And we went through that. We looked at the second component of the triune Godhead, which is Jesus. And we saw through the Old Testament that Jesus interacted with man in his pre-incarnate form, which is called the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. There are other angels that are listed over and over, and we see both of them, both aspects in Genesis 18 um, when we looked at that, verses 1 through 3, then we looked at 17 through 22, and then we looked at uh, Genesis 19.1, that helped us to understand that these three men that, that came to Abram, two were angels, and the third was the angel of the Lord, which was also referred to as the Lord. And he did that in several ways. And of course, God interacted through the Shekinah glory and the tabernacle and the temple and so forth. But in terms of man interacting, uh, or a man-like form interacting, it was the, the angel of the Lord that did that a lot throughout the Old Testament. Then, of course, the flesh aspect of Jesus came to us um, 2,000 years ago and dwelt among men in his fleshly form as Jesus Christ uh, for those 33 and a half years. And then he was taken to heaven and the Holy Spirit was given to us to indwell the church. Those who believe Jesus Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit indwelt, and that's been going on since uh, Acts 2, which is um, Pentecost. So then we transition to what's going on now, and we want to move actually towards to the period of time, and we don't know when this is going to be, because it's preceded by the rapture, which we do do not know when this is going to happen. We're just eagerly awaiting for the rapture. But we want to go to the period of the tribulation, which is really the focus of Rich's question is, does the Holy Spirit? Um, how does the Holy Spirit act during the tribulation? And we did, identified three groups that are involved with the general period of time of the seven-year tribulation. And one of those is the church. That's why I say general time, because the church is actually on the earth um, and has been for approximately 2,000 years from Pentecost and will we'll be taken to heaven at the rapture. And then um, that's when the tribulation starts because the church cannot be on the earth uh, during the tribulation. And the Bible tells us that over and over again. So the church is involved and we want to talk about the church and the Holy Spirit. Then we want to talk about the Gentiles and the Jews that are on the earth during the tribulation. So Gentiles and Jews on the earth during the tribulation and how the Holy Spirit interacts with them um, in, their, in their unrighteous state. And we finished our Q&A at the end last time talking about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 32, where Paul specifically delineates these three, three groups. He talks about the, uh, the Greeks or Gentiles, the Jews, and the Church of God. So those are the three groups that are in the world today, and the Gentiles and the Jews that are unrighteous will go through the tribulation. So the passage, back to Rich's um, question, the passage in Second Thessalonians that Rich referred to deals with the church. So this is the first of these three groups, deals with the church And as we've said, the church is composed of both Gentiles and Jews, but the specific difference is these Gentiles and Jews have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And these people will be raptured off the earth before the tribulation begins. And I know there's discussion around the Greek and whether or not they're just protected and separated in a part of the earth. No, it says they are taken off they will be raptured off. And of course, we have the wonderful uh, rapture passages that tell us exactly that, that we will be taken off the earth. We will be snatched, as it were, off the earth. And a key distinguishing feature of the church is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each believer. And again, as we've said over and over again, this indwelling of the church began at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and it concludes at the rapture. So it's a specific finite period of time in which the church exists on the earth in the plan of God. Then after the rapture, no one can join the church. The church becomes fixed in number. There's no one After the rapture that can join the church, there is no birthing of uh, children, if you will, offspring of the church once the church is raptured in their glorified bodies. And let's go to Luke chapter 2 very quickly just to see a point there about that, that um, the writer Luke tells us in Luke chapter 20, Luke chapter 20, and let's look at verse 35, and it says in Luke chapter 20, um, actually, for context, let's go to verse 34. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. Verse 35. But those who are considered worthy to attain that age, the, the next age, and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore, because they are like angels and the sons of God, uh, and and our sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So there you see the term son of God, and you see that it's the church that once it's resurrected in its glorified body will not marry, nor give in marriage, nor will have children. It's a fixed uh, entity called the church. We will continue this talking about the church in our next Q&A. So in the meantime, remember If we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air.
0: Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.